Well, I am very excited to introduce a new friend of mine. You all are here and going to receive a real treat. Her name is Teresa, and Teresa is opening up in Longview a place called Rahab's Retreat. And she is going to tell you about her ministry, but she's first going to tell you about the miracle that God did in her life. She was a runaway kid on the streets. God saved her, turned her life around because a church embraced her. And I am believing that our church is going to partner with Teresa and with Rahab's Retreat to rescue women in the sex trafficking industry, rescue them off the streets, help put them in a safe place where they can get uh, rehabilitated off drugs and alcohol, get a hope and a future, get some skills and training and education. And we're, they're just down the road from us. They're going into strip clubs rescuing women. We don't even have a strip club in Texarkana, but they have them all over in East Texas. We're going to be sending women that we minister to here to her, and we're hoping that some of the women and men of our church will go down there and partner with her, support the ministry, minister to these women, and, and even children. So I'm excited to tell you and introduce to you Teresa and let her capture your heart, and then let's see what we can do as a church to help see this ministry be launched. Thank you. Thank you, Linnell. And thank you, Pastor, for having me and Church on the Rock. Anytime I get to come and share, it may be my testimony, but it's Jesus's story. It's what he's done because I have done nothing and could do nothing without him. Um, I just want to pray real quick. Lord, I thank you right now. It is an honor to serve you. Lord, I just ask that we have ears to hear what you want to say to all of us today. I thank you right now for this opportunity to come before you and we can just all be, be real and be honest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Anyway, um, my name is Teresa Richenberger. I'm the founder of Rahab's Retreat and Ranch. It's a 32,000 square foot facility, home. It will house up to 130 women and children. And I will tell you how I got that in just a moment, but I want to share with y'all some of my testimony. My testimony started right here in East Texas. I grew up right outside of Carthage, Texas, a little town called Deadwood, Texas, a little hole in the wall. I grew up hunting and fishing on the Sabine River. I can probably skin a squirrel faster than most men in here. So that's how I grew up. And if you saw my dad back in the day, he looked like Charlie Daniels and... Um, Willie Nelson all wrapped up in one. And my dad actually, uh, he worked the oil fields, but dad also grew marijuana on our farm that we had. He had 30 acres that my grandparents had left him. So my dad grew marijuana and I can remember putting, it the, put it, putting the seeds in the oven at a very early age to get them cooking in the winter so we could plant them. So, and I didn't tell this in the youth because I had limited time. But so uh, using drugs at a very early age was no big deal. And drinking a few beers, you know, hey, no big deal. So uh, then after my parents had been married for 17 years, my mom and dad came home and said, mom and dad don't love each other anymore and we're getting a divorce. And they said, pick a parent. Listen, I was the youngest out of four kids. And look, if you've been divorced in here or if you're, you know, from a divorce or you're going through divorce, there's no condemnation in Christ. I'm just telling you my story. 
but I was the youngest and that hit me really hard. I was so mad at my parents. How could they get a divorce? You know, we think parents are supposed to get married and stay together forever, but sometimes that's not the way life is. And so my mother left my dad and she moved from East Texas to the big city. She moved to Houston and I went with her. Um, I'd already, believe it or not, beat up a girl with a baseball bat and broke her collarbone. And I didn't get to tell this in youth. Like I said, there was so much little time to talk. But uh, I was very rebellious in school and stuff. And my dad had made us, we were very tough. Dad, if we came home and we ran from a fight, my dad would whip us and send us back. So not only would I hunt and fish, but I was also a very tough young girl growing up. So I'd beat up a girl with a baseball bat and juvenile was looking at me. And so when my parents got divorced, I really didn't have to make the decision to go with my mom. The judge let me go with my mother to get a fresh start, get out of East Texas. So a little country girl moves to the big city with her mom. My mother had no education. Mother, time she was 21, she had four babies. So mother saw she did was raise kids. So when she got, her and my dad got divorced and we moved to Houston, mother took a, um, driving a school bus during the day and then she worked as a waitress, bartender at night in a bar. Well, when you work in a bar, you let your kids hang out in bars. And like I said, drugs and alcohol was already a part of our life. So my mother would entrust older men to take me home at night. And of course, I was 14, and an older man did more than just take me home. He took me. So at a very early age, I learned what sex was about. I did not know Christ, nor did my parents. I didn't know what God had intended for the marriage bed. Listen, I just want to tell you real quick. If we don't get real in life, how do we ever get healed? Honest to God. We walk around with so many walls up and fake things and masks and we don't ever really get down to the root of what's causing things to happen in our life. And look, like I said, I was a tough little girl growing up. So when I got saved, I told God I would say I would serve him. So that's what I'm doing up here tonight. And I am being real. And so I didn't know what God had intended for the marriage bed to be. I just knew sex for something. Sex for drugs. Sex for the next ride to the next party. For a guy to like me. And so that's how I got introduced into that lifestyle. By that time, my mother ended up getting married for, I don't know if it was her third or fourth time, to a Prince Charming. Mother's marriages did not last very long. And this man was her Prince Charming, and he was going to meet all of our needs. And so um, mother's getting married. I decide to leave home. So I'm 16 years old, and I run away from home. So I live with a couple friends. That didn't work out. Then I called an older man that liked me from the bar. He was a huge drug dealer in the Houston area, and he ran drugs from Houston to Galveston. So, you know, that was right up my alley. But, of course, he reminded me that nothing was free. You just had to, you know, give a little to get a little. So a place to live, a place to stay, a place for protection. So I was with this drug dealer for about nine months. And this one particular weekend, I did not go on the drug run to Galveston. He never came back from Galveston. They drowned him in Galveston, a drug deal that had went bad. You know what sad is? I never even knew his parents. I wonder to this day if his mom and dad knew what happened to him, or was he just another missing person in the world that we see missing? Who was I going to tell? We were all running drugs. So that's just a door you close and you walk away. So 
And as bad and as rebellion as I was, I wanted always to come home to mom and dad. So I called my mother thinking I could come back to my mom. You know, so I called mother and my mother was back here in East Texas at my grandmother's house. And she was healing from broken ribs and a broken arm that her new Prince Charming had given her. So my mother had no direction, no direction in life. So therefore, she could give me no direction. So I called my dad thinking, my dad, maybe I could come home to dad's. But his new wife, I have a little sister that's 16 years younger than me and a little brother that's 18, 18 years younger than me. My dad's new wife didn't want a runaway doing drugs, sleeping around on her doorstep. And plus, I reminded her too much of my mama. Lord, help us if we're step-parents and we don't like a child because they look too much like the other parent or someone I'm just being real. So that door was shut in my face. So here I am now, fixing to be 17 and nowhere to go. Listen, I was in survivor mode. You know, where you get really hard and the walls go up and you, you think to yourself, if I don't take care of myself, who's going to take care of me? Who, who? If I don't toughen up, this world's going to eat me up. So I looked in the newspaper and it said make $1,000 a week. So I took a cab ride to a topless club. The manager never asked me for ID. Saw he saw was fresh meat to put on his market. So here I am, 17, in a club stripping. Oh, but the manager, after I'd been there for a couple weeks, he came and got me from the dressing room. And he reminded me now that I owed him something as he pimped me out to older men in the Houston area. So this was my life. And the drugs and the alcohol that come with it, how can you not? We go in clubs today and we see the girls all drunk and on drugs. How can they not? doing what they do. Oh my God, this was my life. 17. You know what? The years changed, but yet nothing changed. Now all of a sudden I was 25. My God, I'd been in the business for eight years. Didn't anybody see me? Really see me? I was just an empty shell of a woman walking around. I had no life in me. It was drugs, alcohol. This was my life. I'm thinking, how do I get out of this? How, how does someone really help me? And the enemy, Satan, comes in and lies to you and tells you, you know what? This is the only thing you can do. What decent man's going to want you? You know how many men you've slept with? Wow. You know the shame and the guilt that I walked in? And you know what? Sometimes I would want to, to go home with younger guys my age thinking, you know, maybe there is a Cinderella story. And I'd go home with them, and their mothers would be in the background saying, Get her out of here. She's trash. Oh, no. This, I, couldn't, I could not stand the life I was living. I ended up ODing on drugs, alcohol, and anxiety pills, and I ended up in a Christian doctor's office. And after that man prayed for me, I knew something had to change. I didn't know what or how or what, but I knew something had to change. And so then the next, then, then the little time went on and you know how you promise people, oh yeah, I'll get some help. I'll get some help. And you never do. And you go right back out to that lifestyle and you're doing it again. And so then after that, I was at the club one morning. It was 11 o'clock. The doors just opened. I was on stage. A man walked in. He walked up to the stage and he tipped me and he said, come sit with him. So I went and sat with this man and he said, God sent me in here for you. You don't think God can't reach in from the pit of hell and snatch you out? Oh, yes, he can. I'd never in my wildest dreams, being in a club, half nude, and a man saying, God sent me in here for you. Really? I'd never heard those words. Never. 
You know, because when most guys said they wanted to save me, honestly, it was just to the next hotel room. I wasn't marriage material. I knew I wasn't. I was trash. I was not take home to mama. Wow. And here's a man sitting here. He's a college professor at Texas A&M. He teaches economics. He said he used to be addicted to those clubs. That morning he came from College Station. He came down Interstate 290 right outside of Houston. The club I worked at was Gold Cup. He was going into Houston to a downtown meeting at 9 o'clock that morning. He said God told him to stop there. He said, oh no, it's just the enemy of my flesh. He's coming back. It happened to be at 11 o'clock. God said, go in there. He walked in those doors. I was on stage and God said, you're here for her. You know what? I wanted out of that lifestyle. So I took a chance on that man. I left. He put me in counseling. I went to counseling for a little over two years. The counselor was a Christian counselor. Listen, I still wasn't saved. And I was still doing what I was doing, even with someone trying to help me. But the counselor gave me these little tracks, Bill Bright, Campus Crusade. You know, you look at them. It talks about hell and all the sin. And, you know, so I would look at them and everything. But I'm still doing what I'm doing. And I'm thinking, how do I really get out of this? How do I, how do I really change? Who's really going to help me? Oh, my gosh. And so this particular day, I lived by this time. I'd moved out in the country. I lived in Hempstead, Texas. But I'm still doing what I'm doing, having this college professor send me. He's paying for counseling for me to go to counseling. I'm going, still prostituting, still being pimped out, still working at the club. Then this particular day, I had a friend of mine. She had actually moved in with me. She's my roommate. She owned a dog grooming shop. And I'm at her dog grooming shop that Wednesday. It was a Wednesday. And I'm looking at the newspaper, you know, the little local newspaper. And at the back of the newspaper, I keep flipping through it. And there's an ad. It said, come, you're invited. Community Chapel, Pastor Kenneth Floor. I shut that newspaper and I said, I think I'm going to go to church tonight. And my girlfriend's like, yeah, whatever. I opened that newspaper back up. I looked at it. It said, come, you're invited. The Holy Spirit's drawing me. Listen, Satan used a, used a newspaper to get me into that industry for 12 years of my life. God's fisting to use a newspaper to get me into a church. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can't, he is still in the miracle working business. So here I am looking at this newspaper and I tell my girlfriend, uh, Okay, I think I am. She goes, yeah, whatever. It's Wednesday night. Let's go party at the local bar. I said, yeah, you're right. Shut the newspaper. I go home. I get those tracks, you know, Bill Bright, Campus Crusade, Heaven, Hell. God, I'm going to hell. Wow, I know I am. Oh, my gosh. I get that newspaper. It says, come, you're invited. Uh, so I called this little girl down the street, and I said, Jill, you go to this church? She said, I do. I said, can I go with you? She said, yeah. So she met me on a Wednesday night. Listen, I was wearing very little. That's what the world says looks better. Tighter, the shorter, showing everything. I told the youth, the youth, and I'll tell you, modest is hottest. Let me tell you, ladies. All right? I'm telling you right now, it is. And so here I am with my stiletto heels this high. My outfit's very short and everything. I got showing my bright blue eyeshadow up to here. I walked right on up in the church, prostituting the pews. I could not get past that back row. I just sat on that back row, and I wept in all my shame. And everything that pastor said, I was like, did they call him and tell him I was coming? Oh, my gosh. It's just, uh, uh, uh. I couldn't even look up. I couldn't get up. I just sat there and bawled. I thought, I don't want nobody to even see me. And then what I was wearing, you know, hey, you just want to cover your whole self? You're thinking, of course, Satan is right here. Who do you think you are? Look what you're dressed. Look how you're dressed. These people aren't going to receive you. Get out of here. You know where you really belong and who you are and 
So I'm sitting there, and to the end, this pastor keeps talking about somebody needs to be saved. Somebody needs Jesus. And it was me, but I couldn't get up. I thought, how do I walk from there all the way down here? How? Oh, people are going to look at me. (laughs) Next thing I know, there were some little ladies in the church right beside me. They said, honey, you need Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. They walked me down the aisle. A prostitute in the pews got saved that day. Amen. I want to challenge you as a church. If a woman like that walked in your church today, what would you do? Let's be real. I'm going to talk to you women for a second. Oh, my God. I can't believe she wore that to church. I hope my husband don't see her. We can laugh, come on, because we're women, and we think, and we say, and if we don't, we're going to have to repent for lying, every one of us, all right, okay? But you know what? I want to challenge you, because like uh, Linnell said, we have a group of us women now that go into the topless clubs, and we minister to these girls, and they come to our church, and when they do, I'll set them right beside my husband. He's like, baby. I'm like, take them on down to kids' church. You know what? If we say our, our husbands are godly men then we need to honor them, okay? Listen, ladies, there's a difference between looking. You've already looked at me. You know what I'm wearing. I got on a pair of cute shoes, jeans, and a blue and little white shirt. You've already looked at me from head to toe, hadn't you, ladies? Yes, and I've already looked at you. Well, you know your husband's going to look at me. I've already looked at him. He's got a yellow shirt on, a pair of black shoes, okay? There's a difference between looking and gawking. If he gawks, pick your Bible up and hit him with it, okay? All right? There's a difference. But if he glances, well, you've already glanced. I'm just saying, don't poke your husband's eyes out for that. Because if you do, you're going to be missing a blessing. Maybe what God has for you and for them. What if they'd have turned their backs on me? What if they'd have told me to get out of their church with what I was wearing? But they didn't. They said, come. Come, we say we're mature women. We say, oh, I spend all the time in the Word, and I read the Bible, and I pray. Then be the mature women God's called us to be. Love on your sister that's half naked there. Be honest. And this is even funny, but I love it when people run up, and they're going to throw a little blanket over me like it's going to cover my sin. You're shaming me at times. Won't six or seven of you women go up and circle her with your body? And come around her if she's showing stuff. And cover her with your love and escort her to the prayer room. Because when you walk up and automatically throw a blanket over a sinner that's trying to get saved, you're automatically telling her, honey, you're showing everything. You need to, she already knows she's showing it or she wouldn't be there. I'm just, just saying. Just saying. Okay, just saying. All right? I mean, like I said, if we don't get real, we're never going to get healed. So anyway, I got saved, and listen, after I got saved, if you don't think Satan wasn't mad at me, I was in his kingdom, and I served him greatly. And all of a sudden, now I switch sides. You know, we get saved, and all of a sudden, hell breaks loose, doesn't it? We go, oh my gosh, things were, things were better when I wasn't saved. You know what? We get saved, and we think we get on the love boat. We're just going to cruise around. We don't. I got an X on my forehead now, and I got on a warship. And Satan sent every demon in hell after me. Every demon in hell after me. 
He was furious because he knew what God was going to do with me. And he is so mad. So now I'm serving Christ and I'm, but you want to know something? I'm still sneaking off and going to the clubs and prostituting and dancing. Here I am. Jesus, I love you on Sunday morning. And right back out there in the world. Right back out there in the world. Back on Wednesday nights. Jesus, I love you. Right back out there. I was not an overnight success. I wasn't one of these, boom, I got saved and everything changed in an instant and I got healed and set free. Hallelujah, some people do, but it wasn't me. And you know what? I want to tell you what set me free, what really turned my life around. I'm at home and the first time it happened, I woke up that morning, I was literally drenched in sweat. I was like, what is going on? Was I fighting with somebody in my dreams? What? It happened again and again and again. This went on for several months. Demonic spirits were coming in my home in the middle of the night and attacking me. They would literally hold me down in my bed. I could feel the chains on my arms and on my legs, and I could smell their nasty stench right here. I'd be wide awake, and I couldn't move a muscle. And I would thank God, Lord, if I could just, what? I'm a, little, I'm, I'm a thin lady anyway, but I'd got where I just dropped tons of weight. Everybody at church was like, what's going on with you? How do you come and tell your pastor that you're being attacked in your home by demonic spirits? They're going to think you're crazy. I was like, what is going on with me? What? So I stopped all the drinking. I'm thinking, I gotta, something's got to change. Here I am a Christian now, and I'm being attacked in my own home. And I'm thinking about putting a 38 to my head now and shooting myself. I'm thinking, something's got to change. What am I not doing right? I'm going to church, but yet I'm still doing this. So I had to let all that go. I called my Christian counselor, and I'm talking to my Christian counselor. He said, did you give up the club? Yes, because I'm telling him now what's going on. He said, did you give up all the alcohol, the drugs? Yes, yes. He said, what about casual sex? I said, uh, what about it? You know, girls got to do what girls got to do, right? He said, do you know you're, you're a house and a spirit lives in you, and a man's a house and a spirit lives in him, and God said, when your spirit go- join, you become one? My God, my God, how many spirits was I joining with? The demonic attacks were coming because I was leaving the door open. Let me tell you, after that night, I went home and I got right with Christ. I sold out to every. I didn't want nothing. Any jewelry, any man giving me anything. I didn't want nothing, no more but Christ. I wanted that peace that surpasses all understanding. I wanted that peace that I hear so many people talk about where you just sleep and you know everything's going to be okay. I'd never had that before in my life. Never I wanted that. And so I went home that night and like I said, I sold out and I got on fire for Christ I went to my church. I got on fire for church. I did meals on wheels. They asked me to clean the bathrooms. Hey, I'm cleaning them. What do you need me to do? Any jewelry, anything, any man gave me that had a price tag on it, I didn't want nothing of it. Everything could just go in the trash. I wanted nothing. The only thing I wanted was Jesus. Jesus. Because that's what set me free. That's what totally rescued me. Jesus paid the ultimate price for me that no man could pay. And so that's why I have a book on the outside table out there. And if you want to purchase one, you can. They are $10. My book's called Sold to the Highest Bidder. 
First, because I was sold to the things of the world, but now I'm sold to the highest bidder. Jesus paid the ultimate price for me. Amen? Amen? So listen, don't ever think that, that you're, you're not worthy or that or your daughters are not worthy or the enemy comes at you and tells you you're not saved. He's a liar. He is a liar. You cannot trust anything he has to say. You pick up God's word, it says, I am free from any condemning charges against me. I am free from ever from condemnation. When someone comes up to me and says, I know what you were. I say, you're right, I was. If you have a problem with it, I'll pray for you because it don't bother me anymore. Jesus said, I'm set free. Amen? Matter of fact, hold on one second. There's not a smell, a stain, or a smudge of that old life that I used to live. If I'd have never told you my life story, never in a million years would you have said, she came from that. That's how far God can take you. So I moved home to East Texas, driving a Pontiac Sunfire little four-door with a deer dent in the front, coming home to mama at 35 years old, coming home to mama. 35. God's going to restore everything that the enemy has stolen from me now. Everything. God's just going to bring it around full circle because I sold out to him. So now I'm moving with mama and then I get a little house and then he tells me to go to this church on the rock in East Texas. And so I go there and a man opens this door in the singles and he's a tall drink of water. Oh my God. He is so handsome. He opens the door at Sunday school. I walk in. I go, oh my gosh. He's handsome. Now I'll start lusting in Sunday school. <laughs> Go figure that, women and men. Oh, my God, I'm like checking out his buns and thinking, what, God, he's so handsome, and what would he feel like for his arms to be around me? And, you know, come on. If we sit here and say, well, we're lying there again. We got to be honest. Got to be honest. God says he wants those desires when they're right. So anyway, the guy scares me off from the church. I leave the church for a whole month. I said, forget that because um, that's not what I'm here for. I've come a long way and I'm not going back into that. So I go back. A month later, God tells me to go back. I go back and uh, the guy's still there and they're having a Mexico mission trip. I signed up. He signed up. We go with our group to Mexico on a mission trip for the week. He got to see me. I sweat like a pig. I wear men's deodorant. I have no shame. Okay. I'm on the mission field. My hair up here and Wayne has a servant's heart. And God said, that's going to be your husband. I said, well, you need to tell him. Because <laughs> I'm not going there no more. So we get back, and uh, my mother had been trying to hook me up with everybody and anybody. You know, I'm 35. Come on. She's wanting me to get married and grandkids and all that good stuff. And so I finally come home. I said, Mama, there's a man from church. Oh, really? So anyway. Uh, Wayne does privacy fences. Mama said, call him. You need one around your house. I'll even help pay for it. I said, okay. I couldn't pass up a good fence, you know. So I call Wayne, said, Wayne, this is Teresa from Singles. He's like, oh yeah, I know who you are. So I said, I need a fence bid, please. He comes over that Saturday, Saturday with two kids in tow, gives me my fence bid, and then says, what are you going to do this evening? I said, oh yeah, mm, here it comes. I said, what? I said, I'm going to watch a movie tonight by myself, me and my dog. He said, well, can me and my kids stay? Hmm. He had two kids. I said, well, all right, but it's going to be like the movie's supposed to start right now. So we watched the movie. Then he was in the kitchen. He's petting my dog. 
like this is like five o'clock, he's leaving. He's petting my old dog and he stood up and I said, what are your intentions with me? He said, what? I said, listen, if you want somebody just to hang out with, I've already been down that road. I'm not interested. If you want somebody to go have coffee, I don't need that either. I can go to my mama's. She's three houses down. Coffee, dominoes, movies. I don't need it. What are your intentions with me? And he said, I see you as marriage material. He didn't see me as Satan and said, I was trash. What decent man would ever want me? Oh my gosh. Women, when you wait on the man God has for you, oh, wow. He didn't see me as somebody just to, yeah, exactly. He, but he saw me as marriage material. So you know what? We had a wedding. I got married at the age of 40. I had 11 bridesmaids. Hallelujah. They're all older coming down the aisle. Noreen is a big black woman. It weighs about 300 pounds. Here she comes, hot pink, you know. I love her dearly, and she's one of my best friends. We're going on eight years of marriage. Satan is a liar. Amen. Amen. And then, and then right after that, the 700 Club called me and asked me if I'd, uh, some friends of mine uh, asked me if they could submit my story, and they did, and I really didn't think the 700 Club would ever call me. So when the lady called me and said, this is a 700 Club, I thought it was my girlfriend, Shamala, and I said, I'm going to kick your rear and the lady goes, no, ma'am, this is really the 700 Club. And I'm like, oh, well, praise God. <laughs> Golly. Oh, my gosh. You know that's true. We get more preacher if the pastor walks in. Hallelujah. God. I'm being real. I had a little cute girl today correct me on something I said. She goes, mm-mm. I was like, you know what? So anyway, I go home and, and I talk to my husband because, listen, guys, my husband, it's just Jesus first and then my husband. Nothing else matters. I told God when he gave me my husband, he wants a cheese sandwich in the middle of the night, I'm going to get up and fix it. And you can ask, you'll meet Zoya in a minute, but you can ask Zoya. He doesn't do laundry. He doesn't worry about cooking or cleaning. That's my man. I love him. I want to choke him sometimes, but I love him. And so I go home and ask him, and I said, honey, the 700 Club called me, and they want me on there. And he, uh, he said, I can't do it. He said, everybody in our church is going to know what you did. The men, uh, my boss, his wife, who highly esteems you. Um, wow. So we sat on the floor together, and we both bawled like a baby. He got up, and he went and blowed his nose, and he come back, and he said, but you know what? It's not about us. He said, so let's just go with your story, and let's help women. So here we are today. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And then I have to tell you the story. So, you know, we go into clubs and we help rescues women. There's a young girl um, a couple times. Well, it's been a few visits back that we went in. She's 15 years old. She's two months pregnant. She's at Jay's place in Longview and she's dancing. She's from up north. Her pimp is at the local hotel. Wow. She's from up north, and he's trafficking her and another young girl right through our small towns. We don't think it goes on around our small towns. It does. Carthage, Texas just busted a ring there at the local um, hotel. They were pimping out girls to the pipeline men. I want to know, how does that even transpire? Does somebody go to a bar and sit and wait for one of the guys to show up and say, hey, I got a girl? I meant, wow. 
So we get to help partner with them. Like when we go in Jay's place and we see young girls that's out of place, we take a selfie with them. Cheese, everybody likes that. Then we text the picture straight to a task force. They send an unmarked car to the site or to the wherever we're at. When the young girl comes out, they follow her. They make the arrest. So we get to partner with them. We're partnering with a DA, um, Josh Warbick, uh, some other people. Praise God. So we're going to get to help these women. Now, but there's not a place in East Texas. A lot of places can't take women and children. If they can, they're very small and they're always full. So we, uh, there's an old nursing home that um, was outside of Kilgore. Well, actually in Kilgore. It's 30, like I said, 32,000 square foot. For the past two and a half years, I've driven around that place. I've anointed oil all over it, poured oil all over the doors, olive oil. Olive oil is what, you know, you can go to the dollar store and buy it, okay? Anointed, it's just symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So we have um, prayed for the place and wanted it. This facility was owned by a Muslim man. Uh, I called him numerous times saying, I want it. Oh, put the pictures up. That is our fellow, that's going to be our cafeteria right here. That's our salon to get your hair done. <laughs> that's one of the rooms that y'all are adopting that's going to be uh, the workout room. And that's the front of the home. It doesn't look that big, but it is. It's huge, huge home. There's our kitchen. These are some workers we're working in there, as you can see. And over on your left, there are women that we've already helped there. That's, oh yeah, on the left over there, some women and stuff that we've helped and people adopting rooms already. And then this here is our front foyer, the next one. That there is our front foyer. That's it on that. And so, um, but it's just amazing. The home I got to tell y'all this real quick. I know time's running out, but I, I got to tell y'all. I called the Muslim man. He wanted a million dollars for the property. I don't have a million dollars. Like I said, my husband is our breadwinner. He works. He lets me do ministry. We're not wealthy by all means. Um, so I kept calling the Muslim man. He kept saying, no, no, no. I drove to Garland to see him and met with him personally. Um, before I left, he said, I want a million. I said, I don't have it. I said, but can I pray with you? He's like, what? My hand was already on his shoulder by the time I asked. So uh, sweat broke out all over him. He was like, <laughs> you know, I just prayed to, I say generic little prayer, but God bless you, your family, da, da, da. Thank you for having me. See you next time. I left. I know that God put favor on his heart with me because I called him last year. He said, I want a million dollars for the property. I said, I don't have it. I called him again and again. He goes, you're not going to go away, are you? I said, no, I'm not. You know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. I want the anointing oil. How bad are you willing to squeak to God about what you want? I want it all. Jesus said we could have it all. I want it. So here it is. I wouldn't take no for an answer. The guy goes, you're not going to go away. I said, no. He said, I'll sell you the property for 500000 I said, I don't have that either. He comes back and he says 200000 I said, okay. I want the property for $200,000. So here it is now. He's going to sell me the property. He said, bring $25,000 when you come to sign the earnest money contract. We just remodeled our house. I'm broke. 
I don't have nothing. I said, okay, no problem. So I'm praying that Friday morning in the bedroom. I'm praying and I'm saying, God, I want this land. I'm just, but I don't have the money. And I'm like begging God. And God said, get up and go get your land. Just like I'm speaking to you, he spoke to me. And I heard him. And I said, but I don't have the money. He said, I didn't ask you if you had the money. I said, go get your land. Listen, it's a God vision when it's bigger than you. All right. Amen. So I called the man on the phone. I said, Al, this is Teresa Richenberger. Oh, I said, I'll be there Monday to get my land. You have all the paperwork signed. He said, no problem. You bring your cashier check, 25000 I said, no problem. So he got all the paperwork signed. I told him I'd be there 1 o'clock on Monday, well, 1.30. And so um, I prayed the whole weekend. I drove there Monday, no cashier check. I go in, he signed everything. I signed everything. I initialed it. He said, I need your cashier check. I said, I don't have it, but I'm going to give you a personal post-dated check from a Monday to a Thursday. Hold it. Just three days for $25,000. His secretary said, is this a hot check? I said, yeah, if you cash it today, it's going to bounce. That's all I can say. Please. I said, but I just got to have some funds transferred. I'm thinking, I don't know where. <laughs> I get in my car and I prayed all the way home and I didn't even get a mile from my house and I get a phone call from a couple that said, we're going to sow the first seed into your ministry of $25,000. Amen. God sometimes waiting on us to move. I'm not telling you write a hot check, but I'm telling you, if you know that you know that you know, you're always saying, well, God, give me. He's saying, it's already yours. Why aren't you taking it? Wow. So then I have a facility. Well, my God, it's a huge facility. Now we got to fix it up and all that good stuff. And I don't have the money. My pastor walks in and he's like, oh my gosh, look at this place. Anyway, uh, uh, short story or long story short, whatever you say. Um, we went to a small church the other day. A man wrote us a $160,000 check, paid off my facility. It's not even open yet, and we're debt-free, okay? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now we got brand-new windows, and Ron came down, and he was helping them put in. We had 125 brand-new windows donated by all seasons, doors, and windows. Uh, uh, a 32,000 facility home, you get an estimate on that for a roof, okay? It's over $100,000. We had a roof put on for like under $30,000. I'm just saying all this stuff is being donated like crazy. You know what? It's a God thing. It's not for me. It's for women and children, and he knows it. You know what? God said, Are you, it's not about us. We say it's not about us. It's not about us. Honest to God. Zoya, will you come up here for a sec, please? I want to introduce y'all to Zoya. Z-O-Y-A. Hi, my name is Zoya, and I was born in Russia. At the age of six, my father killed my mother, and then he killed himself. And I was put into an orphanage where um, I lived for seven years. I was blessed with the orphanage I was in because they taught me about Jesus, and a little old lady read the Bible to me. And I started praying on my own a little bit, and at the age of 13, I got adopted into a really sweet Christian family. My father is a chaplain. 
at the age of 16, well, and at that point, I was on fire for God. I was going into nursing homes and ministering to older people and loving on them. And at the age of 16, I went to a youth camp where I got saved, where I saved, said the prayer and got saved. <laughs> at the age of 17, I walked away from God. I walked away from church and I walked away from my family. I packed my stuff and I moved out. I thought I could handle it all on my own. And I started dating an atheist. We lived together for five years, drugs, alcohol, all of the above. And at the age of 22, I decided I couldn't do it anymore. I had people from my old church fasting and praying for me for a whole year. And the Holy Spirit was pulling me, so I left him. I moved away. It still took me a few months to get all my stuff together. And I came to a pastor at my new church, and I said, I really need some help. I need accountability, and I need help more than what I've been getting. So he paired me up with a widow from our church. She taught me the Bible, and um, she prayed over me with some other ladies, and then she paired me up with Teresa. <laughs> As Zoya was saying, um, they found me online. They called me. She's just one out of so many young girls that call me and say, are you open yet? Are you open yet? And I have to say, no, we're not open yet. But they would not take no for an answer. They said, we have to come meet you. This young girl, for some reason, needs to be with you. I said, we're not open yet. So they called me, met me at McDonald's. I met Zoya. I really loved her. She loved me. So then she couldn't wait to come. She lives in our spare bedroom. All right. You know what? God says, are we ready to step out of our comfort zone? How far are you willing to go to stretch your tent pegs? Then the little boy beside her is from a crack mama that we've been helping for the past three years. She, the state terminated all her rights. Um, you know what? There again, I called my husband and he said, bring the baby home. So you're looking at the proud mama of a new little boy now. And you know, <laughs> the very thing he came from, because his mom was pimped out. The very thing he came from, he'll be walking the halls of Rahab's and ministering to the women and the children. You know what? God has a plan for all of our lives. So uh, I know I got to go. I just want to close out, but I, I just want to encourage you to do what God's called you to do. Maybe it's to help grow the church here. Maybe it's to step out and help with the ministry here. If God has put it on your heart, what are you waiting for? Satan is a liar. If you're saying, well, I don't have the money, neither did I. That's a cop-out, because God's got it all. Amen? I want to thank you all so much for having me. And I want to tell you, there, she's going to talk to you about ways if you want to partner with our ministry. We would love, we would love it. We would love for y'all to, to come down. Some of you ladies come down and took a tour of the home. It was phenomenal. It was really, we just, we had a great time. But, um, and so I'm going to let Pastor here talk about how if y'all want to partner with us.